0: Chapter Twenty Three of the Herapath Property by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The accusation. The old lawyer, who had bent forward across the table, in speaking to Birchill, pulled himself up sharply on receiving this answer, and for a second or two stared with a keen, searching gaze at the man he had questioned, who, on his part, returned the stare with calm assurance a deep silence had fallen on the room nothing broke it until professor cox suddenly began to tap the table with the ends of his fingers the sound roused mr halfpenny to speech and action he bent forward again towards burchill once more laying a hand on the will that is not your signature he asked quietly Birchill shook his head this time with a gesture of something very like contempt it is not he answered did you see the late jacob parapath write that i did not did you see mr tertius write that i did not have you ever seen this will this document before never mr halfpenny drew the will towards himself with an impatient movement and began to replace it in the large envelope from which it had been taken in short, you never assisted at the execution of this document, never saw Jacob Herapath make any will, never witnessed any signature of his to this,' he said testily. "'That's what you really say, what you affirm?' "'Just so,' replied Burchill. "'You apprehend me exactly.' "'You have just heard what Mr. Tertius says. What do you say to that, Mr. Burchill?' "'I say nothing to that, Mr. Halfpenny.' i have nothing to do with what mr tertius says i have answered your questions mr tertius says that he and you saw jacob herapath sign that document saw each other sign it what you say now gives mr tertius the direct lie and pardon me mr halfpenny interrupted Burchill quietly mr tertius may be under some strange misapprehension mr tertius may be suffering from some curious hallucination. What I say is, I did not see the late Jacob Herapath sign that paper. I did not sign it myself. I did not see Mr. Territus sign it. I have never seen it before. Mr. Halfpenny made a little snorting sound, got up from his chair, picked up the envelope which contained the will, and walked over to his safe, deposited the envelope in some inner receptacle, came back, produced his snuff-box took a hearty pinch of its contents snorted again and looked hard at barthorpe i don't see the least use in going on with this he said we have heard what mr tertius as one witness says we have heard what mr frank burchill as the other witness says mr tertius says that he saw the will executed in mr burchill's presence mr burchill denies that in the fullest and most unqualified fashion. Why waste more time? We had better separate. But Barthorpe laughed maliciously. Scarcely, he said, you brought us here. It was your own proposal, I assented. And now that we are here, and you have heard, what you have heard, I'm going to have my say. You have gone all along, Mr. Halfpenny, on the assumption that the piece of paper which you have just replaced in your safe is a genuine will. That's what you've said. I believe it's what you say now. I don't say so. What do you say it is, then? demanded Mr. Halfpenny. Barthorpe slightly lowered his voice. I say it's a forgery, he answered. That, I hope, is plain language. A forgery, from the first word to its last. Oh, exclaimed Mr. Halfpenny, a little sneeringly. And who's the forger, pray? That man there, said Barthorpe, suddenly pointing to mr tertius he's the forger i accuse him to his face of forging every word every letter of it from the first stroke to the final one and i'll give you enough evidence to prove it enough evidence at any rate to prove it to any reasonable man or before a judge and jury forgery i tell you mr halfpenny sat down again and became very calm and judicial and he had at once to restrain peggy wynne who during barthorpe's last speech had manifested signs of a desire to speak and had begun to produce a sealed packet from her muff wait my dear said mr halfpenny do not speak just now you shall have an opportunity later leave this to me at present so you say you can prove that this will is a forgery mr barthorpe herapath he continued turning to the other side of the table very well since i suggested that you come here you shall certainly have the opportunity but just allow me to ask mr tertius a question tertius you have heard what mr frank burchill has just said i have replied mr tertius and i am amazed you stand by what you said yourself you gave us a perfectly truthful account of the execution of the will i stand by every word i said i gave you will give it again anywhere a perfectly truthful account of the circumstances under which the will was signed and witnessed i have made no mistakes i am under no hallucination i am astonished mr halfpenny turned to barthorpe with a wave of the hand we're at your disposal mr barthorpe herapath he said i leave the rest of these proceedings to you you have openly and unqualifiedly accused mr tertius of forging the will which we have all seen and you have said you can prove your accusations perhaps you'd better do it mind you he added with a sudden heightening of tone mind you i'm not asking you to prove anything but if i know tertius and i think i do he won't object to your saying anything you like we shall perhaps get at the truth by way of what you say so say on you're very kind retorted barthorpe i shall say on but i warned you what i've got to say will give a good deal of pain to my cousin there it would have been far better if you had kept her out of this still she'd have had to hear it sooner or later in a court of justice it strikes me we shall have to hear a good deal in a court of justice as you say sooner or later interrupted mr halfpenny dryly "'so I don't think you need spare Miss Wynne. "'I should advise you to go on "'and let us become acquainted with what you've got to tell us.' "'Barthorpe,' said Peggy, "'I do not mind what pain you give me. "'You can't give me much more than I've already been given this morning. "'But I wish,' she turned appealingly to Mr. Halfpenny "'and again began to draw the sealed packet from her muff. "'I do wish, Mr. Halfpenny, you'd let me say something before.' Say nothing, my dear, at present, commanded Mr. Halfpenny firmly. Allow Mr. Barthorpe Herapath to have his say. Now, sir, he went on, with a motion of his hand towards the younger solicitor, pray let us hear you. In my own fashion, retorted Barthop, you're not a judge, you know. Very good. If I give pain to you, Peggy, it's not my fault. Now, Mr. Halfpenny, he continued, turning and pointing contemptuously to Mr. Tertius. As this is wholly informal, I'll begin with an informal, yet pertinent question to you. Do you know who that man really is?' "'I believe that gentleman, sir. To be Mr. John Christopher Territus, and my very good and much-esteemed friend,' replied Mr. Halfpenny, with asperity. "'Pshaw!' sneered Barthorpe. He turned to Professor Cox-Wraithwaite. "'I'll put the same question to you,' he said. "'Do you know who he is?' and i give you the same answer sir answered the professor no doubt said barthorpe still sneeringly the fact is neither of you know who he is so i'll tell you he's an ex-convict he served a term of penal servitude for forgery forgery do you hear and his real name is not tertius what it is and who he really is and all about him i'm going to tell you forger ex-convict get that into your minds all of you for it's true mr tertius who had started visibly as barthorpe rapped out the first of his accusations had grown paler as they went on quietly rose from his chair before this goes further halfpenny he said i should like to have a word in private with miss wynne afterwards i shan't detain her more than a moment i shall have no objection to hearing anything that mr barthorpe herapath has to say my dear step this way with me for a moment i beg mr halfpenny's private room was an apartment of considerable size having in it two large recessed windows into one of these mr tertius led peggy and there he spoke a few quiet words to her barthorpe herapath affected to take no notice but the other men watching them closely saw the girl start at something which mr tertius said but she instantly regained her self-possession and composure and when she came back to the table her face though pale was firm and resolute and barthorpe looked at her then and his voice when he spoke again was less aggressive and more civil it is not to my taste to bring unpleasant family scandals into public notice he said and that's why i rather welcomed your proposal that we should discuss this affair in private mr halfpenny and now for what i've got to tell you i shall have to go back a long way in our family history my late uncle jacob herapath was the eldest of the three children of his father matthew herapath who was a medical practitioner at granchester and yorkshire a small town on the yorkshire and Lancastershire border the three children were jacob richard and susan with the main outlines of jacob herapath's career i believe we're all fairly well acquainted he came to london as a youth and he prospered and he became what we know him to have been richard my father went out to canada when he was very young settled there and there he died now we come to susan the only daughter susan herapath at the age of twenty married a man named wynne arthur john wynne who at that time was about twenty-five years of age was the secretary and treasurer of a recently formed railroad a sort of branch railway on the coast which had its head office at southampton a coast town in southampton this arthur john wynne and his wife settled down at the end of a the year their first child was born my cousin margaret who is here with us when she-and i am putting all this as briefly as i can when she was about eighteen months old a sad affair happened wynne who had been living in a style very much above his position was suddenly arrested on a charge of forgery investigations proved that he had executed a number of most skilful and clever forgeries by which he had defrauded his employers of a large a very large amount of money he was sent for trial to the assizes at lancaster he was found guilty and he was sentenced to seven years penal servitude and almost at once after the trial his wife died here my late uncle jacob herapath came forward he went north assumed possession and guardianship of the child and took her away from southampton he took her into buckinghamshire and there placed her in the care of some people named bristow who were farmers near Aylesbury, and whom he knew very well. In the care of Mrs. Bristow, the child remained until she was between six and seven years old. Then she was removed to Jacob Herapath's own house in Portman Square, where she has remained ever since. My cousin, I believe, has a very accurate recollection of her residence with the Bristows, and she will remember being brought from Buckinghamshire to London at the time I have spoken of. Barthorpe paused for a moment and looked at Peggy, but Peggy, who was listening intently with downcast head, made no remark, and he presently continued. Now, not so very long after that, I mean, after the child was brought to Portman Square, another person came to the house as a permanent resident. His name was given to the servants as Mr. Tarritus. The conditions of his residence were somewhat peculiar he had rooms of his own he did as he liked he sometimes joined jacob herapath at meals sometimes he did not there was an air of mystery about him what was it i will tell you in a word the mystery or its secret was this the man tertius who sits there now was in reality the girl's father he was arthur john wynne the ex-convict the clever forger End of chapter 23